since Pentecost, we have focused on the Acts of the Apostles as they spread Jesus' word, and really the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Today, as you heard from Acts chapter 17, Paul gave witness to the one and only God. I'm about to do the same, known and unknown. You may be seated. The city of Athens, I've been there. Nice place, very nice place. In the first century world, it was an interesting kind of place. Its glory days had come and gone, and by the time St. Paul got there, about 50, 51 AD, it was a small city of about 20,000 people, the historians tell us. But yet it had a reputation not only for trees and grass and a pleasant setting, but it was known for knowledge. It was known for learning, talking about the issues of the day, a center of philosophy even. If you heard of the Epicureans and the Stoics, they and others loved to sit in the marketplace and talk from their heads and maybe from their hearts about how things were, social political and otherwise. That's where Paul was. And as he walked around town to become acquainted, he not only saw that, he saw a number of things that interested him. And, and one of them was the temple to Athena. And she was, by their accounts, the goddess of wisdom. And I guess that's what brought about those conversations and that learning in the city marketplace. She was a goddess, but there was more as there were temples to others all around the city. Lots of thoughts, lots of ideas, just like today, right? Thoughts about God in, in religion. You know, we, we say, don't talk about certain things like religion. But they did, and there are some and even many who do today. You know, there are some who don't even want to talk about that, or if they do, they proclaim themselves as atheists. That is, you know, somebody who doesn't believe in God, not at all. And in America, about 3% of our people so identify. And then there are the agnostics, and don't get those confused with the atheists. Agnostics say, you know, there, there may be a God or goddesses, but we can't know, not for sure. If or who, or whose. And then there are those throughout the world, but maybe even more and more around here, who simply are polytheists. That is, they see God everywhere, whether in nature or, well, quite frankly, just about anywhere, and who knows how many there are. I don't. But the bottom line is most people. Most people have some sense of God one way or another. It's, I think, something that God has wired into each individual, that there's something beyond what we can see and experience in the physical world. I mean, everybody understands the physical world, what we can deal with with our five senses. Science is the, is the domain of where we can figure out those things. But more and more, there's a sense among most people that there's more than that, that there is a spiritual world that goes beyond what we can measure. And 
they know something that there's more than what they can see. In the first commandment in the 10, God really reveals that there is something more when he said, you shall have no other gods before me. Those folks knew about the others, but he established himself as the one true God. By the way, not too long ago, we had vacation Bible school, and guess what the first lesson was? <laughs> this very fundamental truth. There is one and only true God. You know, God has wired us, as I said, to at least begin to know something there is beyond ourselves. God or goddess or whatever. Well, we can see it in nature. And actually, the Psalms even indicate that. Psalm 19, the psalmist said, The heavens declare the glory of God. The, the firmament, the sky, shows his handiwork. It's part of a human nature. And part of that, too, is our conscience. You know, that, that built-in Jiminy Cricket, if you remember that Pinocchio story, that moves us and, and works in us. There's something in that natural knowledge of humanity that says there's something more. But more clearly and to the point, there is faith, a God-worked faith within us. And even more specifically yet and ultimately, we know God because he reveals himself. He shows us. You know, let's reveal. He shows himself because we can't see him. We can't find him. Well, he puts in us that urge to look naturally for him. He makes himself known supremely in his son, Jesus. God revealed himself, made himself known all through history. And as we track through, we can, can see that evidence, can hear that in the Old Testament time and again. Do you know what the creed of the Old Testament believers, the children of Israel was? It was called, it still is, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. That distinguished them from everybody else who had no gods or gods and goddesses, even galore. With limited words, they couldn't find it. But with these limited words, things that people were unable to grasp, they confessed. And also, as you heard this morning, as Carrie read from Exodus, Moses came to that reality. Out in the desert, saw a bush burning, but not burned up. And a voice came from the bush. You remember this one? Where it was the voice of God speaking, speaking to Moses to commission him. And understandably, rightly, he was baffled. He didn't quite get it. And he said, who are you, Lord? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But what should I tell people when I go to do the job you're giving me? And God said, I am who I am. Yahweh was our way to put it. Or Jehovah used to be the name translated into our language. But I am who I am. Get it? God was saying, I'm the one and the only one who is. I am who I am. And then it was David who prayed and said in his prayer, there is no other God but you. And Solomon, his son, also said, all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and there is no other. And do you remember 
Elijah. Old Testament. As a matter of fact, a couple weeks ago up in Michigan, in Frankenmuth, a good German city, a big part of the sermon was about the contest between Elijah and the prophets of Baal, the god of the day. And it was King Ahab and Jezebel that weren't too pleased with Elijah. And so he wanted to know the true God. And so they set up a contest, if you will. The 450 prophets of Baal gathered and so did Elijah. Each built an altar and they said, whoever has his God, sacrifice, receive it. That's the true God. And the prophets of Baal, they tried. They prayed, they hollered, they even cut themselves to try to get the sympathy of Baal and Baals. Nothing. Elijah built his altar, put the sacrifice on it. He even drenched it all with water and put a moat of water all around it, prayed to God, and God consumed everything. The water, the altar, the sacrifice. And he showed himself that day to be the one and only God. Isaiah made that clear years later when he said, he recorded God's words, I'm the first and I'm the last. Apart from me, there is no God. I am God, there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. All through those days of what we call Old Testament days, it was clear. And also in the New Testament days, Jesus said so. Mark chapter 12, along with the other Gospels, when Jesus repeated the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. But he also made it clearer, more pointed, when Jesus said what was considered to be outrageous, even blasphemous, shaming God, when he said, I and the Father are one. He identified Jesus himself as part of that oneness, the one true God. And even more, he also claimed, familiar words, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The way, the truth, the life, to be sure of it. Did you catch? I am. I am like I am who I am. That was the outrageous, blasphemous part many people thought. He identified himself with the one true God. And then the prayer that you heard me read a few moments ago. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true and only God in Jesus Christ. And it was Paul himself, whom we focus on in much these days of the Acts of the Apostles who wrote to the Romans these words. They showed that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences, also bearing witness, also bearing witness. Even what is natural to our conscience is God worked to lead him to his true being. And the Christians in Ephesus, if I can go on and on, the most beautiful words that Paul penned, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. These words, these witnesses throughout Old and New Testament, especially the New, through Jesus are God-revealed truth. We couldn't come up with them. We couldn't even imagine this one true God, that he is who he is or that he has done and does what he does. If we take the Bible seriously, however, it is clear. And if we take Jesus seriously, 
we can believe it. And by the power of his spirit, it comes home again and again, beyond any human science or knowledge that we have. It's ours through faith, by the working of God himself. You know, when Paul was telling the people of Athens this truth, and there was even more that we didn't get to read that I hope maybe you'll read from Acts chapter 17, they reacted in a number of kinds of ways. Some people thought he was mistaken or that he was talking about foreign gods. They misinterpreted because he spoke about Jesus, resurrected from the dead, which was something anathema to them. Others were intrigued, and and Paul picked up on that. He said, you know, when I saw the temples, there was another one that you have built to an unknown God. You see, they wanted to cover their bases, not only with Athena and the other gods and goddesses, but in case they missed one, they built a temple, an idol, to an unknown God. This is where Paul hooked in, where a segue he picked up on and said, I can tell you what is known so you don't have to try to comprehend the unknown. And he gave him Jesus. He gave him the truth of the one true God. A lot of people soaked it in. Other people sneered at the whole business. That is, they mocked what Paul said and thought it to be ridiculous and even untrue. Understand. Understand that a faith proposition like Paul's, and even ours, can get the same reaction. Some will call us misinformed. Some will call us narrow-minded, as we hold and profess this truth. Some will call us even bigots or insensitive, misguided, and who, who knows what else. Don't worry about it. That's what happens. Don't worry about it. Expect it and, and roll with it. Roll with it. Our call is to confess God, the one, the true, and only God. It goes beyond senses. It's a matter of faith. And we confess that faith weekly, and especially the Nicene and Athanasian Creed that we use at least once a year. We try to. We do so to remember this basic fundamental truth and to affirm it together. We do it to help prepare us for when we use our own words to confess God before people and when we can give witness to that. And remember especially about what a witness does. Think of a courtroom and a witness speaks. And the only thing she can speak about is what she knows and has experienced. A witness can only speak that way. He doesn't Bible thump. That's not the way to get it done. People, Christians, talk and give our witness. And you know what? Nobody can argue with that. It is what it is, and that's as far as we need to go. The acts of the Holy Spirit, that's where it kicks in in our lives today. And we can look for common ground like Paul did with that which was unknown to the Athenians and connect it with the known in faith by the work of the Spirit. And especially in all of this, remember in what you believe to be true. God loves you. We say it often to the children. We say it, and I say it to all of you. 
He loves you and he loves everyone. He's rescued you and me from sin. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the truth. God's love showed itself in Jesus, his son. It shows itself in the work of the Holy Spirit that brings Jesus' benefits home. Remember, trust, value it. He brought us back, Jesus did by the power of the Spirit, to reconnect us to God, who he is and what he's all about. Now, you may say today, I I know all that. Well, it's fundamental, and Paul shared it, so I must share it. And it can also be an encouragement and a clarifying thing so that it can be a part of our lives. Hopefully, we get a better feel for the book of the Acts of the Apostles. Got a little bit more to go. And with it, all these messages, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, who worked through these believers. As the church began to unfold, starting with a fundamental truth like this. It's here for us for history's sake, this account. But it's also here as an example and an encouragement for us all. So let's repeat the process. Let's confess. In ancient words, so we've got them in our hearts and minds to give our personal witness. Let's stand and let's use the Nicene Creed as we speak together. I believe in one God, the Father of all maker of heaven and earth, and of all things moments thinking on the truth of God as we've heard it. Also using the time to hear praises to God, uh, to him and on our behalf by our choral. But also if you take a few moments to indicate your presence here, that will help us greatly. You may be seated as we prepare for more worship.